Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my neighbors and and friends, um, Mike and Tammy Snar. Welcome to the podcast, Mike and Tammy. Thank you. Thank you. By way of introduction, when my wife and I moved into the neighborhood we live in about 21 years ago, the very first people who put their arms around us and even invited us to a Christmas party in this neighborhood before we moved here were Mike and Tammy Snar. Mike and I had a relationship. He was an a executive at the Utah Jazz for 28 years, recently retired, and this good couple took us under their arms and welcomed us into the ward. And we've raised our families together and are dear friends. Mike and Tammy have four children, aged 28 to 38, one grandchild. Um, we could have Mike talk about the jazz. Some of our listeners may rather hear about the jazz. <laughs> uh, my sons have always loved coming to church. Um, after a week of jazz stuff and asking Mike for his insights and all the inside <laughs> scoop and all my sons want to be general managers of the jazz, maybe not all of them, but a bunch of them. Mike has always been so gracious to share his insights and his passion of the jazz. Um, but what we're going to talk about is not the jazz. Um, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to start with a couple talks that Mike and Tammy gave in our ward here in Salt Lake City this past week. It's Christmas time, and they were assigned by the bishop to give talks about sharing the light of Christ. And they both just gave great talks, quoting from our leaders and just wonderful, loving quotes. And so we'll have them give their talks. I may interrupt them at times as they're giving their talks, but I just felt as I listened to the talks that our listeners need to hear the things that Mike and Tammy shared with our congregation. Then we'll talk in the second part of the podcast about their ward assignments. Mike is our ward mission leader, and both of them serve as ward missionaries, and they've really changed or doing a whole different approach to missionary work in our ward, and I want them to share about that. I think it's great. And we're also going to talk about um, being parents of adult children that have stepped away. They have a child that has stepped away from the church, and they are, like many of you, active parents, keeping the family circled together and sort of walking this road that they didn't anticipate with an adult child that stepped away. They have great insights on that subject. We said a prayer before we started. We pray that... Um, the Spirit will be here, and there will be things that Mike and Tammy share that will be helpful to you, our listeners, as you make your way forward. You may be a local leader or a parent or somebody um, working through complicated stuff, and I think the things that they can share can help you. And I hope that as a moderator can ask the right questions that draw out their stories. Mike or Tammy, anything that I, we need to correct that I misspoke about? Can you think of anything? Um that okay? Yeah, that's great. Let's start with your talk, Tammy. Tell us the name of your talk, and then just go ahead and start giving your talk. Um, the talk is just entitled Sharing the Light of Christ, given, you know, from our assignment. Um, and thank you, Richard. I am really flattered that you would like our talks enough to have us on the podcast. It's always a good feeling when you're finished with your talk and it didn't bomb. So thank you so much. Um, so I'll just go ahead and start, I guess. Uh, growing up, my family wasn't very well off. In fact, we were very poor. My father suffered from depression, and he had a difficult time holding a job, and he was sometimes abusive, especially to my mother. We were recipients of shoes for quarters 
shoes from Quarters for Christmas, as well as other charity causes. And I finally remember two large boxes left on our porch one Christmas Eve, and my mother tearfully removing the contents of food, treats, and clothes. It was a magical Christmas. Every Christmas Eve for many years, we were young. Many years when we were young, Santa Claus would go door to door on our poor little street and give us all chocolate-shaped stars. It wasn't until I was an adult that I learned it wasn't actually Santa, but my sweet uncle who visited each house on our street, sharing joy and kindness. But more than the things we received is the memory of my dear mother, who often shared what little she had with those around her. Many times during the year, you would find her offering a hug or an ear to someone having a hard time, or delivering quart jars filled with her famous stew to others, including a homeless man who hung out by our neighborhood store. And I would add that um, I went up with her one day when she handed him a, a bottle of her stew, and he, with tears in his eyes, pulled out a pair of nylon stockings that he had found in the garbage and handed them to her. And my mother, of course, just sobbed, but it was such a sweet gesture on his part. Um, She also took Stu to the lady across the street, and um, I went with her one time when she did that, and she was a mean woman. She did not like kids, and we were afraid of her, and we were all wondering, why would my mother go and, and give her something? And I didn't hear what they talked about. I heard the lady say, well, why would you give me this? And I don't know what happened after that, but I just remember at the end that they were both hugging each other. And that was just kind of my mom. She could break down people with her love and kindness. My mom rarely went to church, but she was a beautiful example of sharing the light of Christ. And that's the topic with which we've been asked to speak on. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We all have the light of Christ inside us. Hopefully it will propel us to be more like him. C.S. Lewis said, To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. I, I read a small novel once, it was titled Small Change, and um, there was a paragraph in the book that really stuck out to me, so I took a picture of it with my phone and kept it, and um, the main character was this lady that was always giving service to people, and at her funeral, her minister came up to the husband and talked about her, and he said this, she was a Christian woman who never got caught up in petty squabbles, who never spouted Bible verses to exalt, exalt or excuse herself or to judge others. A quiet, gentle woman with a bottomless heart who lived like a real Christian instead of just acting like one. And I loved that I phrase. I loved that. I thought that was so cool and that it really great... stood out in that book. And it kind of led, led in for me to um, a powerful message from President Uchtdorf. We could cover the earth with members of the church, put a meeting house on every corner, dot the land with temples, fill the earth with with copies of the Book of Mormon, send missionaries to every country, and send millions of prayers. But if we neglect to grasp the core of the gospel message and fail to help those who suffer or turn away those who mourn, and if we do not remember to be charitable, 
We are as waste, which the refiners do cast out. He goes on to say, Indeed, as one ancient prophet put it, if we turn away the needy and the naked and visit not the sick and afflicted and impart of our substance to those who stand in need, if we do not any of these things, behold, our prayers are hollow and availeth us nothing, and we are as hypocrites who deny the faith. Continuing, he said, we can, we can only have a hope of Zion with every man seeking the interest of his neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. To put it simply, having charity and caring for one another is not simply a good idea. It is not simply one more item in a seemingly infinite list of things we ought to consider doing. It is at the core of the gospel, an indispensable, essential, foundational element. Without this transformational work of caring for our fellow men, the church is but a facade of the organization God intends for his people. Without charity and compassion, we are a mere shadow of who we are meant to be, both as individuals and as a church. Without charity and compassion, we are neglecting our heritage and endangering our promise as children of God. No matter the outward appearance of our righteousness, if we look the other way when others are suffering, we cannot be justified. Sorry, turn the page. Um, and there's a wonderful talk by Marvin J. Ashton in 1992 entitled, The Tongue Can Be a Sharp Sword. In part of his talk, he points out that the Sermon on the Mount probably the first sermon Jesus taught his newly appointed disciples and which he called the ultimate handbook on coming unto Christ was centered around the virtues of love, compassion, forgiveness, and long suffering. In other words, those qualities that enable us to deal with our fellow men, fellow men more compassionately. Elder Ashnalto also tells the story of an informal fireside where the instructor asked the group, how can you tell if someone is converted to Jesus Christ? He said that for about 45 minutes, those in attendance discussed various answers that were appropriate, appropriate and thoughtful, and the instructor wrote them on the board. After acknowledging that all the comments had been worthwhile and appreciated, he erased them from the board. He then said that the best and most clear indicator that we are progressing spiritually and coming unto Christ is the way we treat other people. Wow. That's great. <laughs> That's a great, great thing. In preparing for this talk, I started following a post called Tiny Kindnesses on Instagram. It's been fun each day to read all the little acts of kindness that people from around the world are sharing. One simple little story I read was about a family whose mother had passed away. At the funeral, all of the family members wore purple to honor her as it was her favorite color. A few days after the funeral, when they met with the funeral director for their final meeting, the funeral director was wearing purple. And the writer said, it was a sacred unification of our humanity to have strangers mourn with us. While we were remodeling our home, we rented a small house in Mill Creek. The lady who rented her home to us warned us about the cranky old man who lived next door and with whom we would share a driveway. We were told not to drive on his side of the driveway, which took some maneuvering each time we backed out of the garage, and to never park in front of his house. Our, our entire family was living with us at the time, so we had several cars that we parked further down the street. The man was mostly homebound and spent much of his time sitting in his favorite chair and looking out the window. I think we provided a whole new form of entertainment for him. Our first meeting with the man was when our moving truck backed into the edge of the driveway. The man, whose name was Reed, came out on his porch and yelled for them to get their damn truck off his driveway. And I didn't say that in Sacramento, <laughs> but I did hear. Awesome. <laughs> I went over and introduced myself to him. I must admit that I was a little afraid of him, and this was due mostly to what the lady who owned the house had said, plus maybe his yelling at the truck drivers just a little bit. 
One evening, we took our whole family to visit the man and his sweet wife. We had a wonderful visit. He had had a very interesting life, and he was also very interested in each of us. On other occasions, when just Mike and I went over to visit, he remembered each of our children's names and asked about each one of them. As the weather turned and it started getting colder, Reed would come out on his porch and tell our kids to park in front of his house. After it snowed, he would call us and tell us that our kids could park in his driveway. We thought that we would show a little kindness to our neighbor, but it was returned to us tenfold. Elder Ashton said, If we could look into each other's hearts and understand the unique challenges each of us faces, I think we would treat each other more, much more gently with more love, patience, tolerance, and care. While Googling the word kindness, I found a quote from a young man named Elijah James Knight. His quote is, Start everything with kindness and the end will be okay. With further research, I found out that Elijah passed away in 2018. In his obituary, it says, He envisioned a world without hate, labels, or violence. He didn't just wait around wishing for things to improve. He manifested ideas to contribute toward positive change. He had a deep sense of right and wrong and an expanded awareness that is desperately needed. Family and friends founded Kindness to Action in 2018 to further Elijah's message and encourage others to do good, to go and imbue the world with goodness by beginning everything with kindness. Approach your area of influence with an action-oriented approach that helps remake the world into the one we all want. Start everything with kindness and the end will be okay. When, I, when Mike and I served in the Tai La ward, we met some of the most humble, kind people. Each Sunday, there was an elderly lady who would bring food to sacrament meeting, a loaf of bread, a package of cookies, even a piece of corn wrapped in foil. She would look around during the meeting and then wander up to somebody and just drop it in her lap, in their laps. She often bore her testimony. We'll never forget the story she told once. She was getting ready to go out one cold winter day and noticed that her car was gone. There was glass everywhere. Her grandson told her that someone had broken into her car and stole it. He called the police, and she immediately went in and said a prayer. She prayed that the police would find her car and that the robbers wouldn't catch a cold because the window was broken. Elder Ashton said, Charity is per perhaps in many ways a misunderstood word. We often equate charity with visiting the sick, taking in casseroles to those in need, or sharing our excess with those who are less fortunate. But really, true charity is much, much more. Perhaps the greatest charity comes when we are kind to each other, when we don't judge or categorize someone else, when we simply give each other the benefit of the doubt or remain quiet. Charity is accepting someone's differences, weaknesses, and shortcomings, having patience with someone who has let us down, or resisting the impulse to become offended when someone doesn't handle something the way we might have hoped. Charity is refusing to take advantage of another's weakness and being willing to forgive someone who has hurt us. Charity is expecting the best of each of us, if the best of each other. And that is probably one of my favorite quotes from a, a general authority. I've always loved it and carried it with me. Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And this is the first great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. I love this time of year. I love the spirit of the season. Each year our family looks for different ways that we can do service together. Some of the ideas are better than others, but it's a joy to watch our family work together for others. It's also wonderful to see our children show kindness to strangers throughout the year. 
and the kindness they show to each other and to us, their parents. And I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And I just told my ward, thank you for their kindnesses that they share and the examples that they are to me. Uh, we've been recipients of much love and care, and I love the ward and feel blessed to be a part of it. And also, I, wanna, I wanted to tell people I love my husband, and I'm uh, grateful for his example. He, and he's taught me so much about kindness and always teaching me about looking the other way, not getting angry <laughs> with other people. I also want um, you to know that I love the Savior. I'm grateful for his teachings and his sacrifice for us. And as we celebrate his birth, may, may we be mindful of his love for all of Heavenly Father's children and try to be more like him. Thank you, Tammy. <laughs> That talk was even better the second time. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm sitting across the table. Forced to listen better. Um, that is just, I just love that talk. I've always felt Thank my you. baptism covenants are a line going upward, which is kind of commandment keeping in my relationship with Heavenly Father, and a line going horizontal, which is my relationship with my fellow men and women. And they're related. And I, I know when yes. I do better with my fellow men and women, it helps me do better with God and commandment keeping. And so that That's to me is so a talk true. talking about how we do this going sideways. And I love that Elder Uchtdorf quote um, for our listeners. And I think if you Google El Elder Uchtdorf inner city mission talk, it's um, right. I think you'll find it. It's not a general conference talk that Tammy referenced, but it's a wonderful talk about the importance of doing the things we talked about. And to find Elder Ashton in there, that was just wonderful. So this podcast, you're listening to this kind of around this Christmas season, it's when it's, um, and I just love um, Tammy, who served as our Ward Relief Society president, recent, released about a year ago, and what she's done to um, lift up heavy hands and reach out and help others. So thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you. And it was fun to watch you two speak because you could tell, you know, how much you love each other because you kind of look back a little bit and smile at each other and you just have this wonderful <laughs> relationship and marriage. So We do. Thank um, you. <laughs> Mike, let's have you either give your talk or parts of your talk. Well, um, I'll, uh, I'll start by uh, sharing the, the news article I, I brought to the meeting about Christmas shopping. I found an article. Uh, one of the things we did when we first got married is we started files with topics, gospel topics, and we had a Christmas file and a file for Christmas stories, and I, I just pulled a, this newspaper article out, and the headline was uh, Holiday Shopping Hazardous to Men's Health, and it was a, actually a, a survey done in London at a, at a mall. A research firm tested men and women to see how their blood pressure and heart rates reacted during shopping. And in, in every case, uh, men's heart rates and, and blood pressure went up. In 25% of the cases, women's went up. And, and there was a quote in there that, that uh, I just loved, which said, uh, in some instances, the heart rate and blood pressure of men approached that of a fighter pilot going into combat <laughs> or a, a policeman going into a dangerous situation. And so I asked uh, the sisters if they would just grant us men mercy during the <laughs> during the holiday season and i told the men that they'd be i'd be op open for lunch if uh, <laughs> if uh, any of them uh, we all smiled <laughs> but then uh, i'll lead into my talk from that despite the challenge of shopping i love the holidays and this wonderful christmas season but it's also a difficult time for many of us who might feel 
lonely, uh, neglected, or forgotten? What can we do to share the light of Christ with each other and reach out to those of us in need? It's clearly something we should be doing every day, all year long. Here's what DNC 8811 says about the light of Christ. And the light which shineth, which giveth you light, is through him who enlighteneth your eyes, which is the same light that quickeneth your understanding. I love the scripture. I, I love the idea that we can gain insight and see things as they really are. Uh, Sister Janet Lee said this in her BYU devotional address in 1994. Uh, quote, only through that light will we see our clear reflections of who we are and who others are. Sometimes we are fooled by what the media would have us believe is perfection. But this is not the way our Father in Heaven sees us. What really counts to Him is how much we illuminate those around us with the light of Christ. Despite what the world may tell us, this light or this beauty does not grow brighter with cosmetics or expensive clothes. Instead, it increases with Christ-like acts and loving and living gospel principles. In verse 12 of DNC 88, we read, This light proceedeth forth from the presence of God to fill the immensity of space. Quote, we know that we are all born with the light of Christ, and sharing it becomes easier as we more fully understand the Savior, His life, His ministry, and His atonement. In other words, as we become more Christ-like, we understand the importance of sharing this wonderful light in our eyes. Elder Uchtdorf, quote, When you fill your hearts with the pure love of Christ, you leave no room for rancor, judgment, and shaming. You keep God's commandments because you love Him. And I'm going to add, because you love and respect yourself, too. In the process, you slowly become more Christ-like in your thoughts and deeds. I love what President Sturt said in our recent state conference. Quote, you can be fully worthy, yet far from perfect. Quote, let's not be too hard on ourselves. Let's do what we can to lift those around us. If we do this, I firmly believe that just, every, just about everything else will take care of itself. <clears throat> in her general conference talk in October of 2019, Sharon Eubank, first counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency, described the feeling she had one night in her office overlooking the Salt Lake Temple when the lights inexplicably didn't turn on. Quote, seeing darkness when I expected to see light reminded me that one of the fundamental needs we have in, our, in order to grow is to stay connected with our source of light, Jesus Christ. He is the source of our power, the light and the life of the world. Without a strong connection to him, we begin to, to spiritually die. Knowing this, Satan tries to exploit the worldly pressures we all face. He works to dim our light, short-circuit the connection, cut off the power, leaving us alone in the dark. These pressures are common conditions in mortality, but Satan works hard to isolate us and tell us we're the only ones experiencing them. Then she identified some of the fears and uh, some of these fears and experiences. Some of us are paralyzed with grief. Some of us are just so tired. Some of us feel we don't fit the traditional mode. Some of us are splintering with questions. Some of us feel we can never be good enough. Have you ever experienced any of these feelings? Maybe all of them at some time in your life? I know I have and still do. When that happens, what do we do? Sister Eubank says this. It's hard to get the lights back on by yourself. We need friends. We need each other. We can help by showing up in person, recharging our spiritual, our spiritual batteries and theirs, repairing what went wrong. I think the best antidote when we experience a dimming of our own light is to step outside of ourselves, do something for someone else. 
It doesn't have to be a big thing. It might just be an, an hello, a smile, an embrace. No matter how low we might be, let someone else know they are important. Like a big, thick, warm blanket, be a comforter to them. <clears throat> a, a friend of mine once said he tried to put his arms around each of his children at least once every day when they were growing up, and now whenever he sees them. I started emulating that simple little action over the years with positive results. But parents, be cool. Don't, don't do this in public, especially with younger children. Uh, stay cool. And of course, I try to hug Tammy just about any time she'll let me. Now I'd like to you to take a minute and recall your most memorable Christmas. Mine happened when I was single, living alone, when most of my high school and college friends were married and starting families. Through a community service organization, I volunteered to serve all day on Christmas in several assisted living centers. I didn't have any other plans for that day except to visit my parents later that night. I spent the day reaching out to others. It was a good feeling. I think my light of Christ was burning a little brighter that day. Now, I love being with my wonderful family on Christmas Day. It's such a special, irreplaceable feeling to be together. But that Christmas when I was alone, that's when I remember often. And I think it's because I was actually giving of myself rather than anticipating the next gift I might receive. The, keeping, the key to keeping and sharing the light of Christ is, to know, is knowing the Savior. Yes, we can study the scriptures, learn from others during our Sunday meetings, and of course, pray often. Can we do more? Can we take the Savior with us for a day? It wouldn't be, be easy, but it might be possible. I recently read about a young man who had an, an unusual opportunity to experience Christ in his life. Standing alone on a street corner, a woman noticed him across the, from across the way. She was a photographer, and she was looking for a young man to be photographed in a series of portraits as the Savior. His facial structure resembled that of the Savior, so she enlisted him. What she didn't know was that he had once been an active member of our church, but had fallen away. As he prepared for his role, donning robes and striving to look like the Savior, he began to change. During one photo shoot with an orphanage in Afri Africa, as he embraced young children, he began to experience the light of Christ firsthand. He learned how the Savior treated others, how he loved, respected, and taught others by his example. He realized that he couldn't live his own life harmoniously unless he matched the countenance of the Savior with his own heart. Today, Philip Miner has a deep love for the Savior, his model, and it still burns in his heart as he strives to be a model for his own family. I think there's a wonderful description in 2 Peter of how we can foster the light of Christ within us as we strive to, quote, add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Charity is a wonderful end goal, don't you think? Tammy and I had many special experiences as we served in the church branch at the University Hospital and Huntsman Cancer Institute. One of the most difficult ones was establishing a relationship with the head chaplain who, who seemed a little standoffish about the dominance of the LDS church in, in the hospitals. We had a branch of about 30 couples, and uh, we served every Sunday for what often turned out to be most of the day and serving up to 250 sacraments or administering, ministering up to 250 sacraments to, to patients. And so we were definitely a dominant force. So we worked hard to, to gain her trust. And towards the end of our calling, she invited us to attend her ordination to become a deacon in her Episcopalian church. We were surprised but readily agreed to attend. 
It was a very ceremonial meeting, and at one point the chief priest led a procession down the, the aisle after the ordination, followed by participants holding burning incense candles. I was amused as one cute little girl who was in the line of fire, so to speak, from the incense, was coughing as she walked along. But what really struck me was the diversity of the congregation. It had a varied ethnicity and people from all walks of life. We sat next to a corporate executive for a major bank who was very inviting and warm. There was an LGBTQ contingency. There were people who looked homeless, people with families, single people, young and old. I felt a warm spirit of love and harmony there. As I took this all in, I realized that it was a far different congregation than ours. And I wondered, would we welcome this congregation into our own congregation? Would we put our arms around each of them and strive to know them? I know we would. I know who we are, and I know we would do that. The true Church of Christ is for everyone. I remember Julie Nelson's heartfelt fast meeting testimony from a year or so ago. She said something like, we need everyone. We need you, whether you have a testimony or don't. We need you with whatever circumstances you are in. We need you with us. I love that sentiment. I think that is what uh, Christ would say. I'd like to conclude with a personal story. When I was in college, I became good friends with another young man. His name was Pat Roylance. We were from separate high schools, but joined the same fraternity. We joined the Army Reserves, too. After he graduated in journalism from the U of U, he married his high school sweetheart and moved to Washington, D.C. to work for a, um, a congressman. We kept in touch in letters almost weekly. Neither, neither of us had been particularly active in our church during most of the time, but in Washington, he became active and shared some of his experiences as he rediscovered the gospel. We continued to converse. A few years later, after he and his wife had two beautiful daughters, he wrote me a letter indicating that he had been diagnosed with leukemia. The outlook wasn't good. Bone marrow transplants were not especially successful back then, but he did, give he did get approved to receive one in San Francisco. On the way there, he and his family stopped in Salt Lake City. His mother hosted a party for him at her home, a condominium above Hogel Zoo. We had a chance to visit alone for a few minutes and stood together on the balcony overlooking the city. He said two things I'll always remember during what turned out to be our last conversation. First, he said, Mike, everyone is going to die. The difference between me and you is I just happen to know when. And then he added, but maybe, just maybe, you can find your way back to the church through me. In other words, maybe he could be the light I needed. And that he was. Brothers and sisters, can we cultivate the spirit, that light of Christ that truly does light the world? Can we be that light for others in times of need? I know that we can because I watched each of you do this many times in, in my and my family's behalf. May we strive to continue on this path and look for opportunities to share this marvelous light of Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. On behalf of all of our listeners. So just great talks. I'm so glad that, I don't know, you know, seven to 10,000 more people get to hear your talks. <laughs> Is that a good thing? That's a good thing. They're at the gym, they're driving. I don't know where you all are. Maybe you're at multitasking. But to me, you just taught the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I felt the spirit of your messages. And Thank you. Um, there's so many things we could go back to and talk about in both of those talks. I loved you humanizing the Episcopal Church. 
I love you developing a relationship with this woman that loved you so much and trusted you so much that on an important day for her when she's being ordained a deacon that she invited you. And it was truly a spiritual experience there. It was all about service and being like Christ, and it was a very spiritual mm, time. It really we was. That meeting. And we, we were very it. welcome. Yes. Uh, there, uh, people came up to us, and as I said, we sat next to a bank executive I knew from work, and he slid over and put his arm around us and talked to us and said, do you want to take the sacrament, which which was wine, so we deferred, but... Uh, you know, it was it was a very special experience. And I love the beautiful diversity you saw there. And then I love the way you turned that to our own congregation and asked, <laughs> would we do the same? And you said we would. Yeah. And I love the way you kind of gave us a good name there that we would be able to rise to the occasion because I've seen it in our members to be able to love everybody. But I do yearn for more diversity. I yearn for those kind of congregations. Maybe that's not possible demographically in every ward. Um, just it would be nice. So much homogeneous in the housing in some wards, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I look at Christ and the type of communities He had, and I'd look at that in that congregation. And I think we can be confident enough about our restored church that we don't need to take down other churches to sort of prop up. That's one of the things I yeah, loved absolutely. about your message. There was. You didn't sell out our doctrine to say kind things about the Episcopal Church or about parishioners or this woman. And I think that's a higher, holier way to be an active Latter-day Saint than some than some of the other narratives we felt in the past. Any thoughts on that? Well, I I, I share your feeling very much. I think Tim and I both do. And and I would love to see more diversity. And, and I think it would be it would benefit us all to be able to grow as we put our arms around people with different life experiences, but but who are all striving to be the best person they can be. That's that's what we're all about. And uh, I think it wouldn't be easy, but I think it's it'd be it's doable. I think it could happen. Even uh, if they're not striving to be the best they can exactly, be, exactly, exactly. For- Right. For help or love or acceptance. You know, uh, just as a sidelight, uh, I talked to a man some time ago that uh, was a recovering alcoholic, and he was a member of our faith. He said, but there was a period of time where I really was uncomfortable, and I didn't feel completely welcome. And part of that was probably on me, you know, feeling inferior or feeling like I wasn't worthy. And uh, he said, but after a while, I got through that period of my life and I'm completely uh, at home now. So I think it's on everyone to, to do the best they can uh, to to be the best person they can be. I loved a couple of quotes. Um, I love the quote from President Sturt, our stake president here in the Cottonwood Stake. You can be Fully worthy and far from perfect. I actually wrote that down mm-hmm. when he gave I that did too. too. <laughs> um, I put it on my Twitter feed. I just like that concept so yeah. much. And I love what you said from Sister Julie Nelson, another member of our ward, um, just creating space for different types of testimonies. I sometimes hear this, what I would call a binary narrative. You're either in or you're out. You're either against us or you're for us. And I think there's a lot of people doing their very best to stay members of our church that may be struggling with their testimony or not hold traditional beliefs in every in every way. 
And if they hear that, that binary narrative, you're either in or you're out, they may conclude because I just can't be like everybody else here. I'm out. And there's no space for me. You know, I love what Julie did in that. That was that was special. I think in every congregation, there's members barely hanging on, and if we, if that may be a deal breaker for them, that sort of mentality that they don't belong here. That's so well said. I don't know if you remember uh, one of the elders' quorum lessons I taught about. It was about missionary work, but I I said at one point. If you're in this room, you have a testimony. It might be a one or it might be a ten, and it really doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to any of us where we each are. The important thing is we're here, we're striving to learn, we're trying to, to grow, and uh, some of us might be hanging on, as you said, but hang on, you know, uh, be with us and stay with us. I love that because if you leave, we'll just end up, dropping things at your doorstep for the next three years trying to get you to come back. So true. (laughs) We won't realize maybe in this really tender stage when you're trying to stay, that's a really good time for us to put our arms around you and honor where you are. I think because President Nelson is is really focused on the name, the Church of Jesus Christ, that we really have a new responsibility to be, be more like Christ. And I the quote I said in my talk where the, this woman lived like a real Christian instead of just acting like one is our responsibility. I, I just think that's a really powerful statement, and we have that charge. It's we, like you, you talked about your mom didn't go to church all the time, but she was truly a Christian because she did so much for other people. Yes. Talk about... Um, being called into the bishop's office, being extended a call to serve as the ward missionary, ward mission leader, which is now under the elders' quorum. Right. I serve as an elders' quorum secretary, so Mike and I go to the same presidency meetings. But talk about the bishop extending you that call and and the dialogue that occurred between the two of you. Okay. Well, it's kind of funny because we were sitting uh, just as sacrament meeting was beginning to start, and I got a text from our. Uh, Ward clerk or executive secretary, I can't remember who it was, but said, hey, could you meet with the bishop right after sacrament meeting? And I showed it to Tammy, and she said, oh, maybe they want you to be the ward mission leader. And I said, oh, that would be the worst. (laughs) So that's exactly what it was, of course. It was the ward mission leader. And I just remember having a conversation with the bishop and saying, you know, bishop, if, if if you want me to do this in the traditional way that, that you, you know, we've defined the word mission leader, I, I can't do it because I just think that we have separated ourselves unintentionally from others by continually asking them if they want to come to this meeting or if they want to do this or if, if they'd be interested in hearing the gospel. And uh, I think it's time for us to, to look at what's really important, and that is serving our brothers and sisters in, in the ward that are not members of our faith and or who not who are not attending for whatever reason. I think we need to reach out to each other, active, inactive, whatever our status, and be true Christians and love and support and find ways to create genuine friendships. So I said I, I don't really want a quota for baptisms because I don't think we should have a quota. I think we should just see what happens. If somebody joins our church because of what we've done, that's wonderful. If they don't, that's wonderful too. But the bottom line should be a friendship that emerges 
from that association that goes on regardless. And so... What did Bishop, what he did said, Bishop Campbell say? Yeah, he said, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> called him after all, right? <laughs> so uh, then I met with the stake, and I had a similar conversation with Mike Mumford, who was our uh, stake high councilman, uh, recently been put in charge of missionary work, and he, he concurred with me that, that you know, we, we needed a, uh, a new approach, a different approach. And, and so uh, a month or two later, I, I introduced what I called the— um, let's see, GFMP. GFMP. And I asked the brothers what they thought that meant. And, uh, thank you, Tammy. Uh, and they, uh, they guessed uh, go for more people and things like that. And I finally said, no, it's the guilt-free mission plan. You know, we're, we're going to go out, we're going to be good missionaries. We're going to be good examples. We're going to be good Christians. We're going to reach out to others without any, uh, agenda, without any uh, concern about what happens. We, we're just going to be Christians and, and good neighbors. So I love that. Things to add to that, Tammy, is you then were called as also as a word missionary. I, I know when I was the Relief Society president, we'd talk about different people that maybe needed visits or whatever, different people that um, are in the neighborhood that don't go to church. And um, now that our... You know, we, we have a dog and we figure that she's our, our great mm -hmm. help in doing missionary work because we just walk the dog and visit our neighbors. And because we're not, we don't have an agenda and we haven't invited them to church, we've made some really good friends that we were, you know, told earlier that they don't want to have anything to do with us and they're not very friendly or whatever. And we've got some great little friends and neighbors by just being us and not having an agenda, but just, you know having a dog. <laughs> I love that. If I'm your neighbor, your non-member neighbor, tell me how I'd feel under the old plan versus how you <laughs> hope I'd feel under the new plan. Well, you so know, I'm going to be your neighbor, Jack, <laughs> and I've been your neighbor. I've lived in this neighborhood. We live in a neighborhood, pretty traditional housing, no apartments, listeners. Uh, we don't have a lot of turnover. I think most of our neighborhood here in Salt Lake, I would guess 70, 60% of our neighborhood is LDS in a very smart, small geographic area. So it's that's kind of the layout of our ward. But yeah, if I lived in a home next to you, my name's Jack for 20 years, tell me the old plan versus the new plan. Well, I think the old plan would be we look for an opportunity to try to bring you to a meeting or get you and your family to come to a meeting, which isn't bad. I mean, I think that's that's good and 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 um, acceptable. We, we should do that. But, but I feel like we would get to know them first, first. get to know Jack first before right. we... Right, before we did that. And that's, yeah. that's what we've typically done. But then once they did that, we would try to move things along. And now this is the old plan? Or this is the old plan. plan. Okay. Then we, then we would try to move things along to the point of, as soon as possible, saying, hey, would you be interested in hearing the discussions or listening to hear more about the church? And... Uh, I think that that's just where we ran into barriers. People were, no, I'm not interested. So what typically would happen is we've got a quota of how many baptisms. Well, okay, cross them off the list and go to the next one. Who's, you know, I, I think that was a little bit of our mentality in the old, in the old program. In fact, Tammy and I were, were mission leaders in our previous ward. And I remember when we were called, I said, well, Tammy, we're in sales now, you know, so I don't see it that way anymore. I think we would get to... If there was an opportunity to bring someone to a meeting, great. But but then we would not 
press to to take it to the next step. We would be neighbors. We would be friends. We'd find some common ground. We'd look for ways to to serve them or to help them, and 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 maybe not even bring up the church, especially if it's somebody that we knew had been in the ward long enough. And our boundaries are kind of unusual. Most of them would have been, and and most of them would have already been asked. So by now, just doing Christ-like service, trying to help and be genuine friends, um, I think there's at least as good a chance that someone might say, hey, tell me more. So, and we've, you know, you've talked about us out on the streets with our dog walking, and we have established a couple of really good friendships with people just just talking with no no strings attached. Um, so... I love that, and I, I, my experience with missionary work is that if I have non-agenda relationships with people and they really gain my trust, then I may get insights into their spiritual needs that they may only open up to me if it if, if it's a relationship on trust. Yes, that's and no agenda. Good. And in those situations, I've had some experiences where I've been able to talk to them about how our restored church may meet some of their needs. Um, but it's usually once that deep, unagenda-based, <laughs> that's a word, friendship. And so, yeah, I guess I do have an agenda that if they were looking for some of the spiritual blessings our church could offer, I would be in a situation to be able to share that with them. But my, but that's, but it's part of just, I, they're worthy to be my friend because they're just a good human being. And I love what you're doing in our ward. And, and I love the way that then creates guilt-free. The members respond better to that. Right. That comes natural to them. They say, oh, I don't need to have an agenda with this neighbor on the corner to eventually get him or her to see the missionaries. I can just be their friend for for the rest of the time they're in the neighborhood. And it's just, it feels so much more consistent with how our spirits and how we're wired anyway. So I think it's exactly. a win-win. I think we actually do more good. And if people path is our church that they're more likely that's more likely to happen than sometimes just these quick gold i call them the golden the golden investigator questions that you know i don't want to rule those out as working but i think especially in established neighborhoods you've got to have the long view here and you know i i came across a piece of research that the church did about why people join the church and i think i shared this in one of our elder score meetings but only about 10% of, of the people who joined the church joined for the doctrine. They joined because they wanted to become closer to God. They wanted to be closer to God. Um, they wanted to be better people, serve, um, and they wanted uh, the association of community. And all of those are good reasons, whether it's community or whatever it is, that's a good enough reason to come to church and just to, to feel the spirit and develop friendships, whether or not you ever go beyond that. Wouldn't that be nice if people would just feel that uh, welcoming spirit that I can go with no strings attached on my end either. So um, we we kind of like the approach too. I love that. Tammy, do you have some thoughts to add on this? That's fine. I think you've added some thoughts. So I feel like, you know, we know some of our neighbors don't want us to ask them about the church. They don't want us to invite them to church. And that isn't a problem. That doesn't change how we feel about them or the fact that we want to be their friends. We're not, like we said before, we don't have an agenda. We just want to be genuine, caring neighbors, whether they want to come or not. And I sometimes hate having the label of being a ward missionary because I don't want them to know that that's 
why I'm their friend because it isn't. So I, you know, I've come of, yeah, we, 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 we have that on the down low. We don't, we never <laughs> say, Hey, we're the word missionaries. <laughs> That's just never discussed. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be a, one of the things I, I have concluded. I used to conclude that everybody in our neighborhood that wasn't in our church was not happy and <laughs> that bringing them to our church would make them happier. And I've recognized that our loving heavenly father wants his children to be happy. And there are wonderful religions in the world that are bringing happiness to their children. And so I've, I've, that doesn't mean I don't believe in our church and the beautiful doctrine of our church. I've just recognized that there are people that are happy outside of our church and I shouldn't look down on them or think that, you know, that they, I, I should see them as equals and I should even be open just like you've done with the Episcopal church and what the beautiful parts of their faith that could make me a better person and traditions that I may see that help me to become a better Christian and, a, and to come unto Christ. So that's sort of the more confident I get in our restored church, the more I'm able to go down that road and not this binary road that everybody in our congregation's happy and everybody in the other congregations are really sad. That's very good. Thoughts on that, Tammy? Well, Mike and I um, served as volunteers up at the University Hospital. You mentioned, mentioned that, that, right? What a cool assignment. It was wonderful at Huntsman as well. But we um, went to the psych ward. We had a patient there. Well, we go in, it's kind of open room there, and people, if they want to talk to us, they can. And a man came up to us and wanted us to pray with him. And he was from the Middle East, and he asked me to say a prayer, and then he said a prayer. And it was loud, and it was a lot of chanting, and it was in another language, and... And he said, after the prayer, he said, or I guess it was before the prayer, he said, when he asked us to pray with him, he said, after all, we're all trying to get to the same place. If we're going downtown, some people take 7th East and some people take the freeway, but we're all trying to go to the same place. And he pointed up to heaven, you know, and to God and whatever way we go, at least we're going there. And I thought and that was a him. great thing that he said. Love that. Um. I love our, Mike and I, as I mentioned on this podcast, serve in the same presidency together. I'm new in that presidency. I'm the newest guy on the block serving as um, a secretary. And our elders corn president, Steve, um, very much beats to your, both of you, um, the same worldview and the same desire in our, in our ward. And one of the things he's asked me to do is to reach out to this wonderful member of our neighborhood who is, I believe, Greek Orthodox and see what we can do um, to support the efforts that she has in her ward. There was a conversation that occurred with a member of our ward that she would like some support on some of the things that she's doing. And I, that's one of my assignments, but I just loved, and Steve's doing that not to convert her. Steve's just doing that mm -hmm. because she's worthy of our support and because um, of the good things that her faith is doing and and as we come together support each other and I I'm grateful for that vision um, and just what you're doing is not just an isolated thing it's part of um, a word culture that I see changing and and a lot of people want to do this anyway it's how we're wired to serve um, anything on that topic before we shift to being parents of children that have stepped away? You know, I think I'd only, uh, I'd add one thing, and that is um, I remember reading the book Planted by Patrick Mason, and he talks about uh, how 
we need to love everybody. And there's a great quote. I won't, I, if I read it, it's probably takes too long, but it's, uh, well, I'll, I'll read it quickly. It's, it's this pretty is good. a format that we don't have like a top <laughs> of the hour, have to go to Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just read this quickly. He says, our meetings must be, this is back to service and, and uh, being Christ-like. Our meetings must be a place where all people feel welcome, smokers and non-smokers, baptized and unbaptized, women and men, the elderly and babes in arms, blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians and Pacific Islanders and Native Americans and Arabs and everyone else, welfare recipients and billionaires, single and married and divorced and widowed, childless and child-blessed, soldiers and peace activists, capitalists and socialists, believers and doubters, straight and gay, every weekers and once a year, feminists and non-feminists, intellectuals and the illiterate, groomed and unkempt, those in suits or jeans and those in dresses or pants, conservatives and liberals, publicans and Pharisees. And I just, uh, I just love that... Uh, um, that quote of the importance of broadening our scope, broadening our vision of uh, being Christ-like people. I love that. And I found a quote when Tammy was speaking, I wanted to read too, just in the spirit of what you're both teaching and sharing. This is by Thomas Merton. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That is not our business and, in fact, is nobody's business. We are all, we are asked, all we are asked to do is love, and this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. That so I great. love that quote. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I, unfortunately, I feel like we have a ways to go in a perfect world. I think that would all fit, and I, I see a lot of... Um, welcoming a lot of putting your arms around people that are different but i think we still have a ways to go i would agree and i, I loved what you said richard about shifting our our culture needs to shift we need to expand it and uh, have a different view a different vision of of um what we're all about so and I, and I think it will take us a while to get there but hopefully we can change those uh, perspectives i agree and I have great hope, um, especially in our younger generation, that see these issues better than I did at their age mm -hmm. and what I'm learning from them and the work that they're doing. Talk about, you know, I look in our own elders quorum and I would guess, you know, everybody that's got kids that are raised, more than half of the dads um, have adult children that have stepped away. We've never done that research in our elders quorum. That wouldn't apply yet, obviously, to the family, parents with children still at home, but if we just took the parents in our ward, Mike and Tammy, that have raised all their children and they're all out of the home, I would guess the majority of them have at least one child that's stepped away from the church. And uh, you know, I think you're right. And, and actually, one day in a high priest uh, meeting, high priest group meeting, I, I quietly went around the room and, and in your and, mind, in my mind, and just looked at each of our high priests and, um, you're, you're correct. You're absolutely correct. We don't talk about this very much, and it's sort of a silent mourning potentially that parents have. Um, and I think you can share some of the things that, you know, you've gone through some mourning, I would guess, um, having children um, in this space or a child. Tell just our listeners what you'd like to share with other parents that are in this space to give them hope and more understanding. 
You want me to start? Or? Um, I, I can start. We have a son who came to us when he, I guess he, it started with reading Rough Stone Rolling. And, you know, I guess when you learn things, you want to know more things because it's, it's kind of like a car accident. You don't want to look, but you can't look away kind of a thing. But he came to us in tears and was just distraught over some of the information and just heartbroken that these were things he did not learn in church and growing up and that he never expected some of the things that he discovered. And so as parents, we just listened and we cried with him. And then we felt like, you know, why wouldn't we find out what's hurting him so much? Why wouldn't we at least read and look into some of these things and why wouldn't we want to know, I guess, really? But he we, he's a safe, we're a safe place for him to come to. And, and when Good. he gets discouraged and frustrated, he'll come over some evening and just sit with us and, and talk and, and we can just listen. And we have another child that has always struggled in the church growing up. She's had some real challenges. And she actually said to us one day, you know, having my brother go through this, it's been really good for our family because now we can all talk about stuff. And That's great. So it's nice that we as a family can all support each other and listen to each other and, and share different opinions and different feelings. And I, and maybe it has helped us grow closer. It has. And, and, you know, I think it's just been a matter of learning that we're all children of our father in heaven and, and that, you know, we need to accept each other. I remember the first time that we had that discussion with him. After he left, I was um, dizzy and nauseous. You know, I just, no, I was nauseated. I just, uh, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. And, and I think, you know, I'm very grateful that we took the time to explore uh, things that he had discovered, things that are true, uh, factually true, and can be unnerving. And and um, I would say one of the, the first things I would tell anybody is to not turn away. You know, there's there's no reason. And, and, and what you do is you just hurt your relationship in not the long run. Not turn away from your child. Not turn away from your child. Yeah, you just hurt your relationship in the, in the long run. And not tell them that they're wrong by thinking these things or reading right. these things. And now we can have... Uh, pretty very open discussions with all of our family and, uh, those that are active and any that aren't. And, uh, it's a, it's a lively conversation. It's great. You know, I, I look forward to those times, but it has brought us closer as a family. It has brought us closer. It's a credit to you. And just, there's no owner's manual. There's no release society elders quorum lesson. No, You've attended there isn't. prepared you for that discussion with your son as he brought up factually accurate information. And so I think that's, you know, I think there's a narrative that people that leave the church want to leave the church. And I think as we've talked about, talk about that. Is that true or not true? Well, I think it is. And I think, you know, we have some close and dear friends who feel that way, you know, and I, feel, I would just so I clarify, feel which way? Well, feel that, you know, that, that this is wrong, you know, that, um, that they're just maybe looking for a way people out. People that leave want yeah, to leave. They, people that leave want to leave. And it's a very uh, natural and uh, uh, honest feeling. I think it's very, it's, a, it's, it's one we probably all want. But I would just say to anybody 
who says that, not to not to judge that person, but to but to uh, know that there are real reasons that people leave, not just fabricated. I want a different lifestyle, or I want a party, or whatever I want to do, or I don't want the responsibility. But people leave for a reason, often in tears, like our son did. And I just think uh, we just need, as a as a as a body, as a church, to be more open to understanding that that's a real that's a real thing. It's not just a an escape route. It's um, a, a real thing. And knowing your kids, there's some of the finest, you know, our kids were raised with your kids. And I've just on behalf of our listeners, <laughs> you have great kids <laughs> that are we doing do. wonderful <laughs> things in society that are they're great. Um, yeah. just great kids. They are full engaged. Of light and goodness. And you as well. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was certainly new to me, too. When I was a YSA bishop working with YSAs that wanted to to find a way to stay, but it was it found it very difficult to reconcile um, either historical issues or current issues, and I think we need to create better space and more understanding. Um, I'm grateful for my brother's book, um, Bridges, yes. Ministering mm, to Those yes. Who Question, and he, like you, has adult children that he calls them don't hold traditional beliefs or at times mm-hmm. stepped away, and he had to really step in this space as a faithful Latter-day Saint to better understand. And he just believes we can do better. Not that you did anything wrong, but I think we can do a better job, especially pre-mission, to um, help our members understand the facts of the history of our church and current issues, and then to create a culture that creates more space so if people bravely open up, we don't shun, we don't create shaming statements like you're going to be deceived, you're the elect, or we don't, we criminalize doubt sometimes. A lot of people with doubt want to find a way to stay. Um, it's sort of the direction you want to go with your doubt. Are you trying to find a way to leave or are you trying to find a way to stay? And there's a lot of people with doubt um, that want to find a way to stay. And we need to somehow decriminalize that. <laughs> um, just more thoughts on that for our listeners. <clears throat> well, Mason, in, in his book, talks about uh, that. And one of the things he says is, find a way to stay. Find something you can hold on to, whatever it is. doesn't have to be huge, but it might just be the community, the friendships. Find something that you can hold on to and then see what happens. See if you can't stay. And I like that. I, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's great advice for those that are struggling is just hold on, you know, just, Hang in there. I love that. Tammy, thoughts on in any of this? Um, and if you can't hold on, that's okay, too. That's okay, too. Yeah. I, I know our our son has a friend that has really struggled, and his parents have not been, haven't received his <laughs> struggles very well, and they're lamenting the fact that he's not going to be at their table in heaven anymore. And, you know, I I feel like we need to, take care of our relationships here and not worry about heaven. We don't know how God's going to judge and what he's going to do. And it's just important to love our family here and now and things will work out how they work out. And, you know, our, we have a couple kids and they are great kids. And I don't think heavenly father's going to kick them out because they're not good kids. I think he's going to look at, on our hearts. And so I think it's I love important that. to love them here. I 
Someone taught me that concept about we assume that there'll be empty seats at the table in the next life, and someone branded that John Ogden as sad heaven. Sad heaven, yes. Where we mourn today a future <laughs> outcome. And I think if we really own our doctrine, really own the plan of salvation, then we should have faith that we're doing the best we can as parents, and if we have the children that have stepped away, that we don't grieve right now a future outcome. We just do what yeah. you're doing. Are there any seats around your table at the holiday season or um, during the year? Is everybody welcome at your table? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I see that all the time. And I just think that's what we do as parents. And what we do with your missionary work is we just help everybody feel welcome. And we create a circle of love. So then we're in a better position just to have people open up to us if they feel they'll feel more comfortable opening up to us. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if Heavenly Father were here, he'd put his arms around us and our parents and just somehow fill you with hope that all of your, and I'm speaking to you and our listeners, that all your hopes for your eternal family, you know, said don't, you know, don't lose hope. Don't mm-hmm. look at today. And, and I think he would want to take a lot of the stress out of parents that are worried about how this all works out with a child that stepped away. More thoughts on this tender subject. We look at each other. <laughs> well, They're such a good team. They're so working well, so hard together not to talk over each other. I think, you know, the, the comment about hope is important and the afterlife. And, um, you know, uh, President Oaks in the last conference in the morning, Saturday morning session said, you know, we don't know that much about the year after. And I really embrace that. Um especially since he's one of the more hard doctrinal uh, speakers. Uh, I don't know how to say that exactly, but I really liked hearing that because um, it says that we we really don't know everything. We have glimpses. We have um, scriptures from the Savior and and others that, that help us see what's possible. But, but I think there's, there's latitude. I really think God will be loving and fair and uh, will see us for who we are. And I think that's the important thing. I think someone who's very doctrinally sound but not Christ-like may find themselves in a a different place than someone that's not so strong in doctrine but is wonderfully Christ-like. And uh, so I think we just have to be nonjudgmental of of any of us and, and move forward. Tammy, thoughts you'd like to share along those lines? I think you covered it quite well. (laughs) Um, I'm just looking for, as Mike was talking, is, um, and I'm not sure I can find it, so I don't want to keep our listeners hanging. (laughs) With bated Um, breath. (laughs) But I was, in the book I'm writing about how to minister to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, it we do talk, in fact, I found it in a quick, um, we do talk about these great commandments to love the Lord with all thy heart and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And sometimes we see the order there and um, we wonder if there's um, a ranking of those commandments. But then an institute teacher pointed out to me in Moses, those two commandments are reversed in Moses 7, 3, unto thy brethren I have said and also give commandment that they should love one another and that they should choose me, their father. That's great. And mm. so it's interesting it's reversed. And I don't know if that's significant. Mm, I think it is. It's, 
I, I think both commandments as you're teaching are important. And I know for me, when I reach out and help others, heaven to me is not sort of isolating myself into this, into heaven. It's reaching out and bringing others with me. There's no scarcity of exaltation or salvation. And I find I do better when I'm reaching out and helping others. And so I really agree with um, your talks and what you're sharing and what the culture you're trying to develop in this ward. Um, any final thoughts either of you want to share before we sign off? I, I feel like this ward really makes an effort. We have a lot of people here that are always looking out for for others, um, especially people that aren't members of the church. Cute Natalie's always posting things on Instagram or on our Facebook, neighborhood Facebook page, help so-and-so, she's raising money, this person's doing a blood drive, and, you know, show them our, that we can support them. And, and I think the word reaches out it's, pretty it's good. An, it's it's great that way. That's a great point. It's really an incredible word, uh, very uh, <clears throat> Christ-like in so many ways. Yeah. And so many people are... Um, great examples to us of service. And as we both said in our talks, we've received incredible support and service when we've had some challenges, health challenges or whatever. And we have just felt the love of the ward as they put their arms around us and they're inspired us to try to be uh, better Christians to our neighbors, better, better neighbors. And, uh, so Tammy's right. It's, I love that. One of the things I did as a Relief Society president, not as a Relief Society president, but while I was a Relief Society president, was um, we usually have a, a shower for anybody getting married in our neighborhood for the guy or the girl. And so um, I had a shower in my home with a lot of help from neighbors for a gay couple that got married. And it was it was just a delight to do, and it was wonderful to see the support from the neighbors and ward members that came. It was beautiful, and I think they were extremely touched yeah. and very emotional to show the support. Because when I first asked um, his mom about it, she was like, eh, I don't know if he wants to do that. And and I think he was a little hesitant at first, and then I think, wow, people, people aren't shunning me. They're loving me because of who I am yeah. and... It, it was a beautiful time. You should have seen the, I mean, you could see the joy in their faces as they were Richard there. Richard was there, you were right? There. Yeah, and I remember you, it was a shower, but you had both partners yeah. come. Yeah. I um, asked about that, and at first they said, oh, just a women's shower. But then cute Natalie said, I think we need to invite some of the men that worked with him, So the too. men came and both partners came. So they came. came a little bit later, or, That's or right. they could we come came at later. the same time. Yeah. And I think that was really special for them as well. But our bishop was there, our stake president came yeah. that night, who's yeah. a close family friend. And I just, no one sold out our doctrine to do that. It's not like Very you had to good. compromise something to throw a shower for a member of our ward. Right. Yeah. You just... It and was I, the natural thing to do. And the more I look at um, LDS parents that have LGBTQ children, and if one chooses to step away, how we respond to the parents is can be the difference between them stepping away or not. And if they feel the ward withdrawing... And they feel people questioning their support of a child who's stepping away and into a same-sex marriage. And and even if the family's financially supporting that marriage, if they feel um, people think they're selling out our church or not standing up for truth, or uh, then it, I think they need an increased measure of love. 
sure. I think they need just to feel the ward's love wrapped around them as they're supporting their LGBTQ child if that child chooses to step away, or we may just lose the whole family. And that's why I've loved that shower and the the love that that family felt in our ward. Yes. Um, so that was a wonderful night. It was great. It was fun. And, and they do feel very loved, I feel. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm going to sign off unless there's anything else either of you want to no, share. No, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank Richard, you what you do us. is amazing. Yeah. And uh, I'm just uh, blown away with uh, how you've uh, strengthened the LGBTQ community as well I'm as... I'm impressed you see all those letters in the right order, Mike. <laughs> it's <laughs> impressive. That, huh? You did in your talk, too. <laughs> it took me a while, man. <laughs> Rolls off Well, you, you, you're doing a great work, and uh, we really... Uh, we're well, behind you. You've saved a lot of lives. Yeah. Well, thank you. And our LGBTQ friends have helped me come into Christ, and I'm a better person. But the podcast works because of people like you that come in and share their stories and our listeners. I'm really grateful for our listeners, for your efforts to tune in and share the podcast. And so we'll sign off. We're grateful to have, give, have Mike and Tammy Snar. Close friends and neighbors, we're thankful for your listeners. And this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.